Hello, hello, and welcome to the Reformed Singaporean Podcast. To the Reformed Singaporean Podcast, where I'm Chris, the Reformed Singaporean, the title refers to. Now, it's been a long, long while, and um, for those of you who might have been waiting, and maybe eagerly so, for you know, my next episode, which is this episode, <laughs> um, I apologize for the wait. I think it's due to a mixture of me procrastinating and also I guess just taking some time off to think about a, a couple of things but we're back and that's the important thing and uh, I, I'm going to continue with our series that was started with the previous episode on TULIP and the sovereignty of God for TULIP for those of us who might not be so familiar with that acronym T-U-L-I-P that's also known as the five points of Calvinism and uh that, that's just a system of doctrines that you could say was not invented. It was not invented by the man called John Calvin, but rather it's a system of doctrines that summarizes, I would say, to a good degree, the doctrines of grace, okay? or rather the doctrines of salvation. How does God save us? Uh, what, what is the state of mankind if, if, apart from God's grace, etc., etc.? Uh, what's the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our salvation? So many other things. Uh, they are all covered in this great acronym called TULIP. So in this episode, we'll be covering the T, okay, which is the first of the five letters. And I really hope you are excited for what we are about to go through. Now, T, what does T stand for? It stands for total depravity. Okay, total depravity. What does that mean? It just means, you know, uh, what, yeah, rather, what does it mean to be totally depraved? What does it mean for men to be totally depraved? Okay, so from, from the sound of it, I think you can already infer or guess that this episode will be heavily centered on the state of man. Okay, what is the state of man? What is his nature in and of itself? Okay, if left to man's own devices, just how sinful or evil can he be? Now, before I go into what the Bible says about this topic, I would like to quickly address or maybe get us to think about a little bit, you know, what is the common understanding of man's state in today's day and age? And I'm afraid in Singaporean Christianity, we have really lost sight of what it means to be sinful. Okay, we have lost our understanding on really what it means to be dead in our sin if we are even familiar with the term at all. You know, when, when we talk about men being dead in their sin, some of us, you know, Christians who come from more conservative backgrounds might, might be okay with that phrase. They, they might have heard it every now and then, you know, mankind is dead in their sin, yada, yada, yada. But I think once we get into the nitty and gritty of things, that's when it starts to get a little bit more complicated. Because 
it really tackles issues such as where does man's will come into the picture? Is man's will totally tainted by sin? Or, can, or, or is man partially tainted by sin? Okay, when we say that man is spiritually dead, is that an exaggeration? Or is that a plain reality? Okay, these are some things that we will be tackling and um, I'm afraid these are the very things that many Christians have a gross misunderstanding, a severe misjudgment about really what is the reality of these things. Okay, now, uh, I guess an opening question I can, throw, I can throw out there would be, if left to his own devices, can any man choose God? Okay, I'll start with this opening question. If left to his own devices, can man ever choose God? And why I say that is because you can ask any Christian today, oh, how do you get saved? Why are you a Christian? What made you become a Christian? <laughs> These are very important questions. You will get a variety of different answers. Some of them might sound like, oh, you know, um, someone preached the gospel to me, I heard, and I believed. Okay, sounds quite simple. And that's not necessarily wrong. Okay, and some people might say, yeah, I, I chose to follow Jesus. Right? I mean, the hymn, there's a hymn that goes, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. You know, I have decided to follow Jesus. Yeah, that, that famous hymn is very plain and simple, right? We decide, we choose to follow Jesus. Okay, some other people might say, uh, they might not state it so explicitly, but some of them might indicate that it was their free will. By my free will, I decided, I chose to follow Jesus. I said yes to Jesus. J Jesus stretched out his hand and I, with my free will, grabbed it in response. And that's how I'm saved. That's how I'm a Christian, right? Well, let, let's take a look at what God's word has to say about that. Now, let's start off with Romans chapter 1. Okay, I'll be, I'll be touching on the book of Romans quite a lot in this session. But let me quickly just read from Romans chapter 1, starting from verse 18 onwards. Okay, uh, in this passage, Paul was laying out in an indictment upon all of humanity. Okay, because there, there were, you could say there were some uh, discussions being held in the church of his day between the Jews and the non-Jews or Gentiles as we call it about, you know, who is a better Christian? Who is more of a Christian? Does your ethnicity make you more of a Christian? Or does your traditions and practices make you more of a Christian? Are some people more dead in sin than others? Are more, some people more guilty of sin than others? Okay, so these were the kind of conversations that were going around at that point of time. And in this passage, Paul says, starting from verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. 
and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Okay, and, and later, you know, it, uh, Paul goes on to say how God gives these people over to their natural desires and lusts. You know, and then this leads to all kinds of weird anarchy and chaos. Now, what this passage simply means in light of what we are discussing today is that man actually clearly knows the things of God. Or rather, God has made himself known, even in creation, okay, that this leaves people without any excuse to deny God. But these people who actually know the truth of God, at least we could call it common sense, it's common sense to acknowledge the things of God, they don't. They rather pursue their natural lusts and desires. Okay, I would establish my argument, or rather the biblical argument here, that mankind's natural state is always inclined towards sin, to do what he naturally wants, which is to sin. Now, to add on, to build on that point, let's turn to Romans chapter 3. Okay, let me read for us. Romans chapter 3, verse 11, where Paul quotes from the Psalms. He says that, or rather, sorry, verse 10. He says, as it is written, no, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Okay. I've had conversations with Christians in the past that when I quote when I quoted that verse, those verses, they responded, ah, that must be an exaggeration. It must have been hyperbole. You know, uh, Paul was just trying to stress a point and to uh, yeah, to make his point very clear. And my my <laughs> my response to that is just so what exactly was the point that Paul was trying to make clear? If he was just using this as an exaggeration, was he trying to strongly indicate that man is just partially bad? Or that man is somewhat evil and somewhat not good? Or will we go with the plain reading of scripture and conclude with Paul that there is no one righteous, that there is no one who is good, no, not one, and that no one desires God. Right? Right? Now, heed the words of our Lord Jesus himself. When he says in John chapter 8, when he scolds the Pharisees, he says, all who commit sin is a slave to sin. Anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Okay? And he says that, uh, you Pharisees, you cannot heed my words because you are not of God. Okay, you cannot heed my words because you are not of God. Now that's a very interesting statement, and I believe that that understanding of what does it mean to be not of God is crucial to our understanding of total depravity. Okay, let me just quickly flip to one more passage before I explain all these things a little bit more. Okay, in Romans chapter 8, Paul distinguishes life in, the, um, life in the spirit and life in the flesh. Things of the spirit, things of the flesh. Very, two very distinct natures, two very distinct positions. Okay, there's no middle ground, there's no neutrality. You are either in one or the other. Okay, let me start from verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, 
for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Right? And even before, you can read the verses before and the verses after to check whether what I'm quoting is in context. And I'll say, my friends, it is. It is perfectly in context. Because in that whole passage, at least from verses 1 to to 11, Paul makes it very clear that you're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. If you're in the spirit, you have life, you have peace, you have uh, you, know, you walk according to the things of God, and if you're in the flesh, you cannot please God, you cannot follow His law, you are totally enslaved to sin, as what Jesus says. And that's what Jesus means when He says, you are not of God. When He says to the Pharisees, you cannot hear my words, you cannot accept my teachings because you are not of God. But rather, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do that of your father, the devil. <laughs> Those are the words of Jesus. It really does not get any clearer than that. But what total depravity simply teaches is that the state of man, the nature of man, is enslaved to sin. And what that means is that his will, or rather sin, has dominion over every area of the man, every aspect of man. Uh, our thinking, our thought, uh, our words, our actions, you know, our relationships, you no know, sin governs all of it. And, and this is not something that we feel forced to do, as some misconceptions about total depravity state, but rather uh, it starts off with really this is our nature, this is our very nature, this is what we are most naturally inclined to do, this is what we always want to do. We are not being forced by anyone. We are not being dragged by our two feet by anyone. These are things that we always want to do. Okay? Uh, so people, or even us, who do not have the Spirit, do not have the Holy Spirit, do not have Christ, uh, we are dead. Okay? We are called dead. Let me quickly quote Eph- Ephesians chapter 2, starting from verse 1. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to Christians here. You were following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So Paul is stating that at least at one point of time in our lives, in all of our lives, before we came to Christ, before God saved us, we were all by nature children of wrath. And what that means is we were all by nature, we were born enemies of God. Okay, let me uh, quote Psalm, from Psalm 51. Okay, Psalm 51. Yes, verse 5, where the psalmist says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So we were born in sin. We were born children of wrath. And this was all because of the fall. What Adam did, what Adam and Eve did, was bring ruin to us all. Because of their first sin, and because Adam was our federal head, we inherited the curse. Okay, we inherited the curse of sin that came about because of the fall. And when we are born, we are born with a nature that is totally enslaved to sin 
and and what this manifests itself in uh how, or rather how this manifests itself is that we do not want to follow God. Okay, when when we heard about God in the past, when we heard about the gospel, when we heard about Jesus, we we didn't want anything to do with him. We probably laughed at the idea of Christianity. We probably uh, just shook our heads in rebellion and uh, shook our fists at God, saying that we will never follow Him and that we will always want to be our own gods. That is probably how it looked like or how it can look like. But in essence, we just want to be our own gods. We just want to do our own thing and we just want to walk our own way and to have nothing to do with following Jesus. Okay, that is the simple, straightforward nature of man. And this has massive implications. This has massive implications and this works out in reality because the natural man does not desire God. No one seeks after God as we have heard in Romans chapter 3. So even man's will, okay, man's will is corrupted and enslaved to sin. So much for my so-called free will, right? You know, because the reality is our wills are enslaved to our nature and our nature is enslaved to sin. Okay, let, let me give a quick analogy to help us understand this truth a bit better. So, so far I've been giving out biblical text after biblical text. And now let me just use a, a quick analogy to maybe help us to digest it a little bit better. Imagine two rooms. Okay, you have two rooms. And in, in, in inside each room, there's, uh, or rather in one room, there's a voucher. And, the, and in the other room, there's a rabbit. And in front of each animal, there's two piles of food a pile of rotting meat and a pile of carrots. So in front of the voucher, there's the meat and the carrots. And in front of the rabbit, there's meat and carrots. Now, if left to their nature, if left to their own nature, what would each animal always, I, I will really say this without hesitation, what would each animal always, 100% all the time, go for? Which food option would they go for over the other? And of course... Even a, a six-year-old can answer, the voucher would always go for the meat instead of the carrots, and the rabbit will always go for the carrots instead of the meat. Because that's, is, that's how their nature, um, or, or that's how their nature works. That's how they are, naturally speaking. Now with that in mind, let, let's bring it to a non-Christian okay, who has the option of following Christ giving up all his idols, giving up his past life, giving up all his pleasures and passions for the sake of dying to himself and following Christ. Or he can just go about his merry way, living his life the same as he has always been, right? Following whatever he wants to do, whatever his lusts um, you know, make of him, whatever his desires dictate of him. Which would a non-Christian choose over the other? And I can say, again, without hesitation, 100% of the time, between the two options, the non-Christian dead in their sin will always choose to do his own thing. And that's not to follow Christ. The non-Christian would never, ever choose Christ over his own sin. Because my friends, that's how much we love our sin. That's how much we hate God. That's how much we hate the things of God and Christ. My friends, if you're struggling to, to understand these things, if you're struggling to really accept these truths that really are from the Bible, my friends, I, I fear that's because we might have too high you know, an elevated view of ourselves, our own will, our own strength, and we have too low a view 
of our own love for sin. My friends, we really are that depraved. We really are that sinful. And we really do love our own sin and ourselves. My friends, the only reason why you can even desire to please God, the only reason why you can even desire anything that's pleasing to God or or Jesus is because He has changed your heart. It's because He has removed that fleshly, you know, that um, stony heart and He has given you a new heart that desires the things of God. If left to your own devices, my friend, you would never, ever choose God. You would never, ever sing, no, I have decided to follow Jesus. The only reason why you ever chose to follow God was because He first chose you. As Jesus said to His disciples, you did not choose me, but I first chose you. Now that... Uh, the whole teaching on election and predestination would, would be more fleshed out in our future sessions. But for today, I, I would like to address a few more other objections that I, I can foresee you know, coming my way, or rather objections that you know, total depravity usually comes across. Now, some people would say, does this mean that you know, man cannot do anything good at all? That everything man does is evil and sinful? Okay, now, now, well, that's a very good question. Let me answer it this way. It really depends on what you mean by good. Okay, who is it good to? I mean, who is it, yeah, who would treat such actions as good? Who defines good and evil? And if you're talking about a humanistic perspective, that mankind can never do anything good for another man, then no, I mean, that, that, that's not the case. That's not what is being addressed here. Because even non-Christians can do kind deeds. You know, even you know, people who hate God can still perhaps donate to charity, can still you know, build hospitals, uh, you know, even help the old lady cross the street. You know, all these, you know, because even non-Christians have the law of God written upon their heart. They know, they have an inner, you could say, conscience you know, to distinguish between, on a very surface level between right and wrong. Right, so when you're talking about can men never do anything good? Well, in that sense, then they, they can do good deeds to other human beings, but in God's eyes, that's a totally different story because what men might deem as good deeds might really mean something different to God altogether. Because men can try to justify his so-called goodness by saying, look at all the good deeds I have done. Well, God has something to say about that. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says that all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. Okay, all of our good deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God. And it's funny because in that verse, the original word for filthy rags actually means menstrual cloth. <laughs> so God sees all of our good works in you know, trying to justify ourselves, trying to make ourselves look like good people in God's eyes. You know, our good deeds are like menstrual cloth. That's how God sees them. You know, disgusting, only meant to be discarded and thrown away. Okay, that's how He sees us. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, He also says that it is impossible to please God without faith. Okay, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Everything that does not proceed from faith, I think the book of Romans in uh, chapter 14, the very last verse, I believe it also says that anything that proceeds not from faith in God is considered sin in His eyes. 
So the language here is very strong. It's very clear that, you know, from a man-to-man perspective, sure, we can do a lot of good things for each other. We can seem like good people. We can seem like morally upright people. But even the most morally upright person on this earth, if it, if it is not for, or rather, if, if he is not in Christ, if he is not of God, he is just another filthy rag. Okay, and, and none of those good deeds is ever going to save him. So that's a very quick objection that I will address. Now, the next objection that I think this doctrine normally receives is, you know, it seems like we have no free will. It seems like, you know, uh, yeah, we have no free will because don't we have a, a choice to always choose whether to please God or to not please God or to do good or to do bad? You know, this really sounds like we, I have no free will and I always, I always do bad only. Now, that kind of objection, I'm afraid it, it really misunderstands what total depravity is all about. Because like I mentioned earlier, what it means to be enslaved to sin is not that, you know, for example, I want to do good so much, but, you know, sin is dragging me by my feet and I'm like struggling, you know, I, I don't want to go, but, you know, sin is forcing me to sin, even though I do not want to. No, that, that's not what this is about. What total depravity is about is that all your sins, all your, com- all your actions are all because you want to do it. And every time you rebel against God, every time you hate God, it's not because you're being forced to, it's because you want to. That's something we need to get very clear. Our nature dictates our desires. Our nature dictates our actions. And because our nature is fundamentally enslaved and dead to sin, or dead in sin, it, that is what determines everything else about us. And that's why our whole lives reflect that state. At least, you know, those of us who are outside of Christ, who do not have the Holy Spirit, our lives will reflect our nature, which is that of a slave to sin. Okay, so we are not robots. And the same can be said for when God saves us. When God saves us with His Holy Spirit, He renews our nature. He saves us from our nature, uh, our, our own natural state, and He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new desire for Him and the things of God. So even when God saves us, He's not dragging us from our feet, but rather He, he gives us new hearts so that now we desire Him and love Him. Okay, so those are just some, some things out of the way. Now, um, some people might say, does this mean that man is as evil as they can possibly be? I would say no. Total depravity doesn't mean that man is always as evil as they can possibly be because we know that in other parts of scripture, it talks about how God restrains evil in this world. How despite the evil acts of men, despite mankind's severity in evil, God actually still restrains it. And something we must understand was like uh, something we must understand is that Adolf Hitler was not an anomaly. Adolf Hitler was not a special case. Okay, if it wasn't for the restraining act of God, Hitler would be like a baby. Okay, Hitler would be considered as nothing compared to what you or me are capable of. Okay, it is only because of the common grace, the common restraining mercy of God, that you or myself we are not far worse than Hitler ever was. It's just something we need to, to understand, that we are so much more sinful than we ever dared imagine.
Okay. If we think that we are somehow good, you know, inherently good, then my friends, we need to read our Bibles more. <laughs> we need to better understand what God says about the state of man. And I think that should humble us. You know, that, that, that really ought to humble us and to really fix our eyes on the holiness and the perfection and the goodness of God. Because He alone is good. He alone determines the standards of good and evil. And He alone is the one who can save us from our totally depraved state. And for us as Christians, if you're listening, if you're a Christian, really praise God that He has saved us from our enslavement, our bondage to sin. It is really an act of divine, amazing grace. Because we don't deserve it. We were hating our own way. You know, we were just pursuing our natural desires of the flesh. You know, we were just as guilty of, you know, Genesis chapter 6 verse 5, when God destroyed the world in a flood because God saw the hearts of men and the hearts of men were only evil continually. That's what Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 says, that the hearts of men were only evil continually. We were, we were that people. We were guilty of that. But yet, God chose to save us from that and to give us a new nature and a new desire and new affections for Him. Praise God, praise God. So uh, I think, yeah, that, 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 that pretty much uh, is where we come to an end for this episode. I, I hope that this have, has been helpful in your understanding of really what does it mean for men to be sinful? What does it mean for men to be enslaved to sin, in bondage to sin? And I hope that also brings us to a greater appreciation of the grace of God that saved us from that very bondage. So in the next episode, we'll be talking about the U in the TULIP, okay, in that acronym, which stands for Unconditional Election, where we'll be, we'll be talking about a lot of different things, you know, um, God's choosing okay, of people to be saved. Now that's a very big topic and a very exciting one. And I hope y'all are just as excited as I am. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening and God bless.